Ronaldo back at Old Trafford this February? Well, first of all, Ed, a ho-ho-ho and a Merry Christmas to you and all listeners. And when I say Christmas, I, of course, mean appropriate seasonal festival or if there isn't one, just ordinary week that you're a bit annoyed that everyone's going on about. Yeah, horrible draw, isn't it? I mean, it's it, it's a draw packed full with narrative, that's for sure. Yes, I, I rather suspect the narrative is one of United getting thumped, but hey, there's just a pessimist in me. United can't defend, like so. Let's let's be honest. We're going to concede a few goals uh, unless Fergie goes, you know, let's uh, all defensive. But I'm not sure that's a winning formula either. So maybe a couple of three-all draws. What do you reckon? Do you, th- do you think it's a Barcelona '99 repeat? Or a Real Madrid, whatever year it was, repeat, except with a better ending. That'd be good, because uh, one of the greatest Old Trafford fixtures ever, wasn't it? Well, the year the year after, yeah, Ronaldo's hat-trick, Fat Ronaldo, that is, and, and United's attempt at a comeback and nearly snatched an equaliser late in the day, but of course they wouldn't have been good enough anyway because of the nil-nil draw at the Bernabeu. I mean, listen, it's the worst draw we could have possibly got in terms of strength of opposition. I think in spite of the fact that Real Madrid are sputtering in the league at the moment, there's no question that Barcelona and Real Madrid are head and shoulders above where United and City, let's say, are at the moment, or really any club in any other country. I think, you know, that because they're so much better than the rest of the Spanish league, it makes the Spanish league as a whole look weak, although Falcao, I guess, is doing his best to single-handedly disprove that thing. But actually, I I think that, you know, I don't know where United would finish in La Liga, but I'm sure we'd be guaranteed to finish third, you know. Yeah, look, that's a good argument, yes. I I don't think United would be guaranteed to finish third. Um, You're right, Barcelona and Real Madrid are ahead of United, but it doesn't mean that United aren't going to give Real Madrid a game. But you you look at Real Madrid's squad and and 1-11, it's very, very strong, isn't it? There really aren't too many weaknesses there, you know. Maybe Arbeloa on the uh, right-back, you might say, is not of the same standard as uh, the rest of the Real Madrid team, but that's not much of a weakness, and and you suspect that United won't have much of the ball uh, in probably in both of those games and, and the question mark about whether uh, United can nullify Ronaldo is, is a big one of course but but all the other attacking options that, that Real Madrid have I mean they, they have Modric has been playing in an advanced position uh, under Mourinho Ozil's not always in the side as a result and what a player to have come off the bench if that's if that's what they do Benzema having a mixed season but you know still a real threat Higuain a real threat and so on and so on and so on you know they got so much quality right throughout that side that it's clearly going to be a really difficult tie for United and clearly between now and then nothing fundamental is going to change in United's approach or personnel or tactics I think so you know I think we can probably guess at what the pattern will be it's good that Vidic is back and and he'll have what five or six games before that tie in order to get fit and that's gonna be really important Absolutely, and I wanted to start talking about the the narrative. There's the Jose stuff, of course, because all the talk has been about him taking over from Sir Alex, and the two of them make fluttery eyelashes at each other at any given opportunity they possibly can. But the big narrative issue is, of course, the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Old Trafford, and it sort of draws into sharp focus United fans' somewhat mixed relationship with him. I, I really do think there's a unrequited X thing going on. A lot of Man United fans display a lot of love for Ronaldo, and I'm just not sure it's mutual. I mean, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe he has more feeling for the club than I suspect, but uh, to me, it's like he had a great time at United, did extremely effective work and used it as a springboard to get himself the job in world football he really wanted, which was to be a player at Real Madrid. 
I think it's probably a fair assessment, yes. And, and of course, there's the on-off talk about Ronaldo wanting to move elsewhere. Part of that's contractual, I think. Part of it is the fact that he's under such an intense spotlight at Real Madrid. His relationship with the fans there hasn't always been a good one, you know. He's been criticised quite heavily, even scoring a goal a game. Uh, and so he's not getting the adulation and the, uh, the massaging of his ego that he requires. So there's lots of things in, in this narrative, as you say. United fans, well, yes, I mean, his, his name is sung at many matches, or most, in fact, I think, and probably will be in the lead-up to this game, which is an interesting one. And I think, in truth, United fans want him to do really well, don't we? Because, generally speaking, he didn't leave on bad terms, which is weird, really, given that he was, you know, basically had a sulk for a while and managed to force his way out. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I don't quite understand. And I think a lot of it has just got to do with the fact that he's absolutely amazing at football. You know, I think a lot is blinded by how much... You know, you, you said when you met Eric, you told him that he'd brought you more joy than anyone else on a football pitch. And I feel like there's a generation of United fans for whom that's Ronaldo. He, he was just He's just a winning machine, isn't he? You've got Ronaldo on your side, you're probably going to win. So many sins are forgiven if the player who you love with all your heart is going to win you the game all the time so you kind of overlook it and and you know I've never quite got the adulation he receives when you separate it out from that winning thing um and I think that's because that's that's the root of it it's not who he is as a person you know Eric had that he's a larger than life personality and a sort of well which Ronaldo has as well but in a very different way I mean you know he's a very petulant presence on the pitch isn't he Ronaldo and he 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 talked about that very interestingly in his uh, interview that he did for CNN with Pedro Pinto it was a sort of long form interview kind of interesting piece and he comes across quite well when you and I imagine he's probably like a a fairly decent chap who's just got an indecently sized ego which you kind of need to drag yourself up by the bootstraps and become that sort of sports person don't you that's all a, f- a fair assessment of things one other thing that strikes me is it, it's all a bit pally isn't it when we think about uh, the year before ronaldo went to real madrid and ferguson said that he wouldn't sell that mob of virus yeah. since then uh, united and real madrid are you know all best friends in world football aren't we uh, emilio butragano said today that uh, it's a club we know really well we have a great relationship ferguson here's ferguson's quote it's a great opportunity for our fans to see cristiano again and also for me to meet up with jose i'll need to order some good wine it's like two boxers they're not trash talking before the big fight they're giving each other a hug it just doesn't sound right you know we want a bit more edge to this game don't we surely maybe it's because everyone just expects madrid to spank us maybe but then you know i'm i'm not totally i definitely don't think we're going to get destroyed by them i really don't because i just i think ferguson is too wily too effective in europe will be managing his squad too well and it'll be too important to him but then you know jose's got nothing to play for except the european cup right because so nobody cares really if he wins the the copa del rey no nobody's going to care that much if he wins that the league looks like it's completely out of the question because they're 14 points behind barcelona in december and i'm not sure barcelona have dropped 14 points in the last 237 years so this is all he's got and he's such a good manager when it comes to getting a result in the moment you know if there's a big game that he's got to prepare for he's methodical isn't he you know he really is, and he's got the Indian sign over Ferguson in those really big games, hasn't he? Interesting other parts of this story, of course, both on two European Cup wins, Ferguson and Mourinho. One of them may get a third this season, well, maybe neither. But it'd be interesting if Mourinho does do one over Ferguson once again in this in this round. 
if he went on to do it, he'll have eclipsed Ferguson. It'd be a good time for Fergie to retire and Mourinho to take over, wouldn't it? <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. He's going to get a little backroom tour, isn't he, while he's there, you know. I know it's been a while since you've been at Old Trafford, Jose, you know. This is the home dressing room. That's where you all stand. He'd just better not do the knee slidey thing if, if Madrid do manage to win. <laughs> I don't think he will, unless it's really dramatic. I don't think he will, because I think partly that was a, a thumb up, thumb the nose at City, new money thing. I don't know. These are just, I just, it doesn't feel like that's coming. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe all the, the kissy faces Mourinho has made at Manchester United in the last two years are influencing me. But yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie will be back and... You know, he'll get a good reception from Old Trafford, as he definitely should. I'm saying he shouldn't get a good reception, and I'm sure if we beat them, we'll be incredibly magnanimous towards him. But if they beat us, I don't, I don't know exactly how many blasts of Viva Ronaldo we'll get. I, you know, I really think there'll probably be an element of the crowd that do want to sing and and praise him, and an element of a crowd that don't. I'm sure it'll be one of those. So, so what's a good result? For United, uh, you know, a draw of some kind in the first leg of the Bernabeu and bringing back to United Old Trafford for a storming European night and one of the rare occasions we'll get a fine atmosphere and a full house in European games and, and turn them over at Old Trafford for one of those fabulous, memorable, historical nights. Yeah, it sounds just about spot on to me. And hey, it's nearly Christmas, so we can but dream. Indeed. So interesting ties in the rest of the Champions League draw, don't you think? Yeah, Celtic and Juventus, that's a nice one for Celtic. Uh, Barcelona and Milan, they've only played each other 57 times in the last two years. Uh, new money Paris Saint-Germain going to Valencia in the first leg. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame uh, Ibra doesn't get to play against Barcelona because we know how much he loves that. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Borussia Dortmund, who are playing well at the moment, aren't they? At Shakhtar Donetsk and Galatasaray Schalke and Porto versus Malaga, the surprise team of the tournament so far. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a bunch of really exciting ties in that, but there, there is really only one pick of the pick of the bunch, isn't there? And it's it's us against them. You know, the, the two most glamorous teams in the history of world football. I think you could probably fairly say it's it's such an exciting thing. I know it's ridiculous because. Yeah, it's the hardest draw we could have got. But on the other hand, what's the point of liking football if you don't enjoy it when Man United play Real Madrid? You know, yeah, we'd love it if we didn't have to play them and all the other good teams knocked knocked each other out and we got to play Schalke in the semi-final again. But, you know, this is not it's not going to happen. And so let's let's enjoy it. Let's celebrate the romance inherent in Manchester United playing Real Madrid. We're going to have bug all else to celebrate. <laughs> Well, maybe. We'll see about that. Another side that plays in white and likes possession of the football, Swansea City. Absolutely so, uh, Swansea away. Interesting stat that I I saw somewhere today, which is that the Christmas fixture list tends to be an extremely good barometer. Form in the Christmas fixture list is an extremely good barometer of who's going to win the league. And no one has won all four of their Christmas period ties since Chelsea in, I think, 04-05. I can't remember which year it was, but, you know, one of the years where they won the league. It's going to be really, it's a really tricky period and you'd have to say that probably the hardest tie of all of them is uh, is that first one because Swansea have, well, apart from apparently being the next destination for David Villa, they're a fine, fine football club, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah, I can't see that particular piece of speculation coming off somehow. They are, they are a fine football club. They're still playing good football under Laudrup, change of manager, but not a change of philosophy. They're outperforming their budget. They've done it very sensibly. They're debt-free. They're partially owned by fans. They're, they're a good model for a community club that's doing well and progressing organically. Right? You know, So 
there's much to admire in what Swansea have achieved and they play nice football they, in Michu they've got a real find haven't they you know a couple of million pounds for, for him and he's scoring for fun and and of course he's going to be a tough tie for United you'd still expect uh, in current form United go there and score some goals I mean might concede some at the other end of course as well as for the fixture programme interesting that United has uh, I read some other stats about this uh, United's performances in the Premier League in December are better than anyone else's over the last decade, right, by miles. Uh, this is this is a period when United traditionally has outstanding results. You know, we can pick a few out that have gone all very pear-shaped. I'm sure you remember some famous ones, but generally speaking, United plays well in December, and it's a key period. And and looking at the fixtures, yes, OK, there's some tricky ones in there, but, but also lots of winnable ones. Swansea, Newcastle, West Brom, and then Wigan on New Year's Day before the Cup tie, you know. OK, it's rare that a team will go and win four games. It's hard to say that because, you know, the way United concede goals means that uh, a defeat is staring us in the face at some point. It's just the nature of that kind of high-risk strategy. But United could also go win all four of these games, and I think that would give you uh, the Reds a pretty commanding lead in the Premier League going into 2013 if that happens. Big if and big but, of course. Yeah, of course. It's really hard for me not to say at this point, I like big butts and I cannot lie. I feel like, I don't know, when I think of Swansea away, to me that's in the top four or five most difficult fixtures, maybe not four or five, but definitely in the top ten most difficult fixtures in the calendar. So Swansea's problem is they do concede goals at home. Yeah, right. You know, so so they are open at home and, and as a result, you know, they've got a mixed record. And so it, it should suit United because it's going to be a nice open game. Yeah. It, who scores the most? Maybe it'll be a nil-niller after that, but it, it says who's who's going to score the most goals all over it. And OK, so it's difficult and they've got firepower, but we've got more and it's more difficult for them. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Is Michu's going to score three and Robin Van Persie will score four and it'll be be really exciting. I mean, Laudrup's a fantastic job because he has slightly adapted them and they do play a modicum more direct than they did under Rodgers and, and Martinez before that. And, you know, a lot's made of, of the, the way Swansea play and I, I do think it is brilliant. They are the absolute model for how to improve a club. Stability in the managerial positions, managers have left rather than been sacked. Very bold decision to appoint Laudrup, but one that seems so far it's very early days yet but to be to be a pretty impressive decision and the signing of Michu's obviously just just a, a moment of inspiration because there's there isn't a signing a better value signing in world football last summer is there probably not in- interesting that we're playing Swansea in the week that FA Premier League chairman have basically agreed that there will be some form of financial fair play regulations in the Premier League and of course you know there are two clubs voted against it Manchester City and Fulham both uh, heavily funded by owners uh, and everyone else voted for it now the details haven't been worked out but I've heard arguments that uh, this just locks in the establishment and the status quo and, and in a way it does right because it it means that as a small club you can't just go you know splurge a load of money on building a team and take the risk to get success and then drive revenues that way but do you know why it's because it doesn't work clubs go bust when they try and do that you know it's okay when you've got Abramovich's deep pockets or or Sheikh Mansur but most clubs who try and do that eventually find that it doesn't work they can't drive enough revenues to to justify the spend so the the model for growing is an organic one like Swansea Uh, you can 
can also go and build a new stadium, which is exactly what Swansea have done. So they can increase their revenues like that. Manage to build the team good enough to get into the Premier League. They establish themselves there. And next year, look at the numbers for Swansea. They can go double their spend on players and revenue, you know? And it's a, it's, it doesn't mean that, of course, they'll double their league position or their points tally or anything like that. But, you know, they're going to grow at the right re- rates. It's very unlikely that Swansea will, unless they, you know, make a bad appointment after Loudrup or Loudrup goes off the ball or something, it's very unlikely they're going to get dragged into the relegation positions any time in the next few years because they've done it in the right way. It's a very sustainable model. And talking of sustainable models, uh, after Swansea, we get to play a team that values managerial stability above all else. The man with the eight-year contract is rolling into town. Pardews, black and white stripes... God, it is, it is funny, isn't it? It really is funny because uh, obviously the owner there like, likes firing managers, doesn't he? You know, he's, he's gone through a few and, and Mike Ashley has is, is almost been the model of Newcastle's instability over the years. You know, for a club that generates so much support and it's a one-club town and the ground's right in the centre of town and, you know, it's, it's very accessible for fans and, and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of think of them as a bit of a comedy act sometimes. And then Ashley's followed in that tradition and then suddenly he gives a, an eight-year contract to Pardew after one good season and it's all kind of blown up in their face now you know they're two points above the relegation zone and it doesn't look like they're getting points anytime soon no although you know the thing about this this Christmas fixture period is I keep looking at it and going mm, yeah that looks like we should win it on paper but I'm worried that, that might be a bit of a banana skin I feel like that about all the fixtures all four of them in fact because like if it, if it comes to it and we beat Newcastle 5-1 I wouldn't feel like that's a massive shock probably a unfortunate scoreline to bring up actually um oh no was it was it five nil the albert chip it was five nil yeah, wasn't it it was let's not think about that and of course part of our part of but a key poor game last season wasn't it the three nil loss away to away to newcastle that which came so soon after the boxing day loss to blackburn rovers at old trafford so yeah of course we shouldn't count any chickens or points just yet Looking at City's fixtures gives United a reason for really going for it this December, though, because City play Reading, Sunderland, Norwich and Stoke, you know, so they they could rack up a whole bunch of points as well. Although their trouble on the road uh, this season is interesting. So they go to Sunderland and Norwich and, and, you know, you definitely see points being dropped in those two fixtures. Yeah, but you can equally see them just getting it together and turning up. I feel like that about the City. So what we're saying is United could win or lose all four of their fixtures and City could win or lose all four of their fixtures. It's that kind of, you know, analysis that uh, you pay for here at Rant. <laughs> the, the thing about it is, though, I think that after all the hype, all is said and done, everything's going on, I reckon we're going to come out of it about the same distance away from City that we are at the moment, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if it's win- within a point or two, the amount of points that we both teams pick up over the course of over the course of the games, uh, you know. Newcastle, interesting position there, and they've got players coming back from injury, and they, they have been a little unlucky, but the, the whole bar Cisse thing is absolutely fascinating, and talking of Alanisis, an actually useful, interesting piece of insight from Alan Shearer on Match of the Day. Admittedly, it was about Newcastle United strikers, which, if he was going to have a specialist subject, that should be it. But he was pointing out just how far they play away from each other on the pitch and how little link-up there is between the two of them. And it is weird how one of them scoring, then the other one scoring. We talked about Berbatov and Rooney being a bit like that at times when they were they were United's top two strikers. But but with Bayern Cissé, it's turned up to ten, and Bar completely stopped scoring when Cissé arrived last season, and now Cissé's stopped scoring and Bar's banging them in. 
that's because Pardew doesn't feel like he can play both of them in forward positions at the same time. So one of them's always on the wing and it's a very square peg in a very round hole, isn't it? You know, he might as well just drop one of them and play a wide player. It'd be more, it'd be better for the team, but he doesn't feel like he can because if he does that, he's going to lose one of them and he wants to keep them both. Yeah, well, I don't think Demba Bar is particularly interested in staying if the quotes of like, oh yes, Arsenal would be a dream club. And also, by the way, I'm not that expensive. You seen this clause in my contract? Seven and a half million, you can afford that. Come on, lads, sign me up, sign me up. We're yet to see whether the January madness brings uh, further craziness to Newcastle. I was saying on last week's Rankcast the whole thing about managerial stability and what's so difficult is how you pick the man that you want to be the stable hand on the rudder. And I'm not sure Alan Pardew's ever been the right answer to that question. No, it always felt like he lucked himself into that job. Yeah, absolutely. And then got quite lucky in the immediate aftermath, like made some really, really good signings who all worked out, you know, for, for a season. Well, you know, that's the two fixtures coming up. Look, they're both winnable for United and uh, God, what an opportunity this is though. It really is. Uh, I wouldn't have picked United to be six points in the lead uh, coming up to halfway through the season at all. I just, I didn't, I didn't see it. I really didn't. And I thought City would progress from last season. They've regressed quite markedly and, and there's all sorts of trouble at the club. It feels like, you know, as we spoke about last week, manager and players uh, have driven a wedge between each other. I mean, Balotelli may have accepted his humongous fine, 350 £50,000 or something. It's probably a couple of days worth of fine. But all's not quite right there, is there? And uh, he could well be off in the in the winter transfer window. Lots of talk about him going back to Italy. So it's a great opportunity for United to pile on the pressure. Uh, we thought Mancini and City were cracking up last season. Uh, you know, hey, there's pressure on already. It's very early in the season. I think, you know, in terms of our relative position, I don't think either of us thought Van Persie would make quite as much difference as he's made to United's results. I mean, that's my take on where we both stood when when he was signed. I have to say, I don't think I've realised how good he was. Quite a lot of people have said that, yeah. I mean, it's partly it's you know, it's partly red tinted specs or whatever, but I think mostly is legitimately the fact that I don't really watch a lot of football outside of United, so I I di- haven't really seen him play a lot of full ninety minutes. So his link up play, his ability, you know, he's in a he's an incredible class of player. And and yeah, as I say, I'm not, I'm not sure I really knew quite how much he brought to the table. Yes, loads, loads. It'd be interesting, of course, with Kagawa coming back. Exactly how that dynamic works now. I mean, let me just interrupt you for a second, Ed, to say that it's a nice segue into the extended Twitter questions section of the show this week. And the reason I interrupted you to say that is because easily the number one question: the new "What is Phil Jones's best position?" coming in from at D Jones six three two at the boy slow at the boy sly and at Tushar MUFC, all asking. What do we do with Kagawa in this in our con- current setup? Well, I think Phil Jones could play in midfield, but he's better as a central defender. <laughs> I don't know that there's an easy uh, answer here, and I, I think it's a bit of that uh, Pardew with Bar and Sisse. It'd be really easy to try and crowbar everyone into the side and make a bit of a mess of it. So no, the options that I see is Kagawa plays at, at 10, really goes wide. That's not great, is it? Uh, Rooney plays at 10, Kagawa goes wide. Uh, Kagawa plays at 10, Rooney and Van Persie play up front as a two and United go to a narrow midfield. That's another option. I, I don't really like the shape there and it's you know, a bit un-United, isn't it? And it hasn't always worked for United this season. Or Kagawa sits on the bench and that's no good for him either. 
Yeah, I mean, the one great advantage is that there are fantastic rotation options, but that can cause problems all of its own, can't it? Because, you know, you've got four games in the space of a week and a half or whatever it is, then, then yeah, it's great that you can drop Rooney to the bench for one of those games and, and put Kagawa in there and still have a really effective setup potentially. But then how do you make sure all those players are in form at the same time? Because it works on paper, but players not playing week in, week out is it tends to be very detrimental to their form unless they're Chicharito and can just turn it on from the bench right and and i don't think Rooney's that kind of player he needs to play most games you know you you really want Rooney in you know 90 85 to 90 percent of the games that united play this season i don't think does Kagawa any good if he's on the bench you know i really i just i don't think he does him any good at all he's he's still trying to settle into the english way of things and an extended period warming warming the bench isn't going to do much good but hey there you go it might have to be the case you know because because rooney and van persie have got that such an excellent partnership at the moment and it's working in an attacking sense now of course there are questions about you know midfield midfield and and it's knock on effect on in the defense but Kigao's not going to solve that one either you know it's not as if you're going to play him in a two in central midfield no not not at all i mean when he first came into the side and he, he was really exciting and beautifully Red gave him player of the month for August and he, he, he really did light the place up didn't he at first and then there was a lot of very high amount of potential shown to unlock defences all that sort of thing but that was when we just signed Van Persie and it was all settling in and actually in Kagawa's absence a, a very nice rhythm has been established by our attacking side and you said right at the beginning of the season when we were talking about Van Persie signing something's got to give there's got to be a sacrifice made to make this work and at the moment it looks like the logic is to sacrifice Kagawa by whether that's to the bench or to play the Ashley Young role I don't know but if he does play the Ashley young roles all sorts of pressure on Evra and you know United's porous midfield because he's he's not a defensive minded player by any stretch of the imagination is he well, no, certainly not. I know, and as I said, uh, you know, I don't think playing him in that role is particularly effective. I mean, when he plays for Japan in that role, he really doesn't. I mean, if you've seen any of Japan's game, he really doesn't do the tracking back thing and covering his fullback. You know, and it's not his game. Why should he? You know, he's a forward. Basically, he plays in a wide forward role uh, and comes off the uh, comes off the the touchline and tries to create from there, much as Zidane did when when uh, he was at his pomp and, and played in that sort of position too. So he's not a traditional winger. He, he won't give United any wit. United will necessarily end up playing quite narrow if they play with him in that position and it limits him too I think he's about 75% of the player and I think he can be a very fine player in a very specific role and the trouble is we have Rooney who's also a very very fine player and 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 playing a specific role so you know we'll see how this one shakes out there are still options of course there are loads of games but I wonder whether it's not uh, not going to be Kagawa who suffers most out of that. I, it's interesting because the other person that might suffer is Rooney because he's so flexible. Like you can imagine Ferguson playing Rooney behind Kagawa as part of the midfield proper, which obviously isn't going to suit anyone, but you can you can see it happening. And I think the Christmas fixture list, the thing that worries me most about that is rotation and how we make it work. Because at the moment, I'm really confident in our sort of first 11, as it's been shown in the last couple of games. Uh, but when you start really, you know, twisting that tombola arm, then it gets a, a bit messy. And talking of the tombola arm, at MUFC Jeff asks whether we'll be reading the Harvard paper on Sir Alex Ferguson. Not sure he mentioned his... His uh, number one managerial technique of chucking all the names in a hat and picking them out one at a time. But he's gone to America to show him how to manage. And in fairness, who better to ask? 
I wonder whether Ferguson quite got it. I mean, he said some very interesting things afterwards. I, I, I read the uh, piece that uh, Harvard released, and, and, and Ferguson was very very interested in the process and very complimentary about the students, and uh, they've obviously he obviously made a, a very big impression on them. Uh, of course, you know, management school is all about theories of, you know, Six Sigma and lean and agile management and blah, 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 and all, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't think Ferguson had a management theory in his life. You know, he, he does it entirely by instinct. Uh, but then, I mean, that's, if you're a student of business, the level of success he's achieved without that is fascinating in and of itself, right? Oh, of course, yeah, um, absolutely. Because then it's the, it's the statesman versus the systemic view of history. It's like whatever systems and theories you're applying, it's the people that put them into practice. And football management is, you know, it's much more common in terms of the people that are lauded as football managers are not the people that have implemented a system beautifully, but the people who've been extraordinary individuals. And he, he has been that. It, it was it's really interesting to see him in that context and you know you were talking about the glazers giving him a stand and a statue and you know come on lads you know it's all right your time's up now sir alex and you can't really imagine sir alex five years ago having gone to harvard and taught a class on on that sort of thing what do you reckon no maybe that's the thing he's getting towards the end of his reign and he's he's going to take all the plaudits he can and and start you know, giving some back and they're incredibly well-deserved plaudits, you of know, course, because he, yeah. he is a phenomenon of management. Of course, of course. You know, he's the antithesis to AVB, isn't he? Yeah, AVB is, is uh, all stats and process and modern management, I suppose, and, and modern management in the wider sense, right? I don't mean football management and probably would do very well in his MBA course, you know. Ferguson is, is not that at all. He's Steve Jobs and he's been absolutely brilliant and, and a complete bastard all at the same time. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to get go through some proper grown-up serious football-related Twitter questions for a bit. At Red Heart United asks a question which I think is sort of interesting. If you could only keep one of Rooney or Van Persie, who would you keep? I, su- I suppose Rooney, being the all-round player, is a tough one, of course, you know, given that he's not very likeable and, and Van Persie's flavour of the month. But he, he's younger, he's a more flexible player, I suppose. But uh, hey, good job we don't have to actually make that decision, isn't it? I would go with keeping Rooney as well, although I, at the moment I'm kind of enjoying watching Van Persie more, but I think Rooney's underappreciated because he's such a, a great big silly head from time to time and because he occasionally goes off the boil. But like the amount he's produced at United over the years, it's pretty, pretty huge, isn't it? At Neurosis says, are we all now kind of hoping that Ronaldo does go to Paris Saint-Germain in January? And also, can he please come home? He's never coming back. He is never coming back to play for Manchester United. Yes, Saint-Germain is the, probably one of the very few clubs who could actually afford him. I can't imagine he'd go there. Why would he? What, what's the point? No, he's not coming back to United uh, ever. Uh, yeah, let's close that one. Next! <laughs> At Mbets asks us to have a discussion about United's reluctance to implement safe standing. Interesting to see Manchester City coming out in in favour of that, and I thought, I thought that was brilliant. You know, you know, a very interesting sort of thing from you know the new city to be so fan friendly. Yeah, they are quite fan friendly, and and uh, they offer cheap tickets and and have quite a community scheme 
I, I guess there's some politics involved and of course Gill's on the FA board and they've been very reluctant to look at this one at all over the last 20 odd years and, and for understandable reasons of course but you know it works perfectly well in Germany uh, with massive massive crowds it would add quite a lot to the Old Trafford atmosphere uh, I'm personally hugely in favour of it I don't think anyone who doesn't want to stand that you know doesn't have to we're not talking about the whole ground or two thirds of it as it used to be it'd be one section and I think it would add a lot to the atmosphere at United and add something to those people who want that it would increase the amount of people that could get into Old Trafford not much because the yeah, safe standing uh, is, is quite a controlled environment but but yeah it's a shame that the debate isn't really happening I don't think we're very near to that ever being implemented in uh, in the UK I, I think we're we slightly slightly nearer like incrementally a tiny bit nearer that a, a, a proper serious discussion happening about that you know I mean it's such a dream isn't it if the Stratford end was a was all standing Old Trafford would be transformed and and it would be brilliant for the brand all that stuff you know what I mean all the all the knock-ons obviously it's brilliant for the people who are actually in this, in the ground that goes without saying but they're having a pretty good time anyway because they're in the ground and you watch it on TV and like, if the Stratford ends all standing and the atmosphere that's being generated it's going to be you know it's a completely different spectacle isn't it well you know i'm uh, of the age that i stood regularly on the stretford end and, and it was a great experience as a result and football is much more sanitized for for not having that yeah and you know i mean i'm not entirely against football being sanitized because i think terrace culture has enormous problems many of which are still being felt not the least of which is the inherent tribalism in ter- terrace culture which doesn't really do society too many favors i don't think I, I don't think that's changed by having people standing, to be fair. No, exactly. And that's like, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that the, the sanitisation of football, it's very, it's only skin deep, isn't it? <laughs> the, the roots of terrorist culture run much deeper than the, the attempts at gentrification. Why are United so politically opposed to it? Why is the FA? Is it because it's such a high risk? Because if something goes wrong once, then you've killed a bunch of people, basically and the history right I don't think anyone expects anything to go wrong because it's a model that works in Germany just fine you know there there were some very specific circumstances that uh, allowed Hillsborough to happen you know decaying ground terrible policing all all the stuff that's come out in the the recent Hillsborough report that's not going to be the case with the safe standing regime you know not at all modern stadiums slightly more modern policing methods though you've seen the GMP in action you know you, you ask a question about that but very controlled amount of people that would be in per segment better systems it's it's just not unsafe it's just not and so yeah politics and uh, that's why united probably wouldn't be in favor at this moment you know who knows that might change at some point that's enough serious stuff it's time for some christmas all up in this business at jack jack hawkins 23 asks if you could spend christmas morning with any manchester united player and his family who would it be it'd have to be paul scholes wouldn't it you know nice little low-key family christmas that that'd be good a low-key family christmas would be fun i i don't know i reckon that phil jones lancastrian christmas could be pretty good as well some good some good carols sung at the jones house on he pulled some some amusing faces while he was opening his presents of course and i like the idea of christmas at the ferdinand's where all the different wrapping paper has just got number five on it so all five branded christmas wrapping paper and a little tiny santa hat on top of the christmas tree with a little five on it Anton Alfie asks, how will Fergie react when he sees the video of himself dancing Gangnam Style that Alfie's in the process of making? Uh, I think favourably. That's that's what I expect. I have to say I've seen a little sneak preview of that. I'm very looking forward to the real thing. But the, one of the more important questions of the week, at Yuhi Bok, that's U-H-I-B-B-O-K, asks whether, 
in a variation of the classic duck-sized horses or horse-sized ducks that I've heard on many podcasts since it appeared on ours. It's almost like someone's trying to get it out there. Asks whether we would rather fight 10 normal-sized Nemanja Vidiches or 100 Labradoodle-sized Nemanja Vidiches. Neither. I'd rather just sit at home with Paul Scholes and his family opening Christmas presents. <laughs> I think that you're going to lose either way. There's no question about that. So I think it's like what's least worst rather than what have you got the best chance of winning because Nemanja Vidic, if there's a hundred tiny Nemanja Vidic's Labradoodles are not that small, you know, so that it's still a sustainable amount of impact can be created and there's only so much kind of swinging and throwing them away you could do before they overwhelmed you. Yeah, I can't believe you're actually giving this some analysis, really. <laughs> I think it, de- it deserves it. Essentially, what I'm saying is go for the 10 normal size Nemanja Vidic's because it'll be over quicker because you're going to lose anyway and it'll just be a, a cleaner for you get knocked out the fight's over i think that's that's the way to do it very good at amon palman asks other than anderson or wayne rooney who could put away the most mince pies in the manchester united dressing room phil jones again that's you're right you're so right about that that's definitely the answer yeah i reckon rio could get a few for a few as well though well, of course, it depends. If they were Sainsbury's finest, you know, the ones with the brandy in, yeah. Fergie would be right out of them. If they're the Heston Blumenthal ones, which have got some orange in, then Rio might be convinced that they were Jaffa-flavoured, and he could then definitely demolish a bunch. But I think your first instinct is correct. Phil Jones, Phil Jones clearly. Other than a dark horse, I reckon Nanny could get through a few mince pies if he really put his mind to it. Well, before we move on with a couple more Twitter questions, we've had a couple of rant backs this week, including this one from Awate. Hello, Ed and Paul. My name is Awate, and I'd just like to ask you guys, which football players would be which comic book characters? For example, I think it's very obvious that Roy Keane would be Wolverine from the X-Men. Please give me your suggestions and elaborate. So, Paul, United Players and Comics, not really my area. Thoughts? Well, on the subject of Phil Jones, who we were just discussing, clearly Superman, always there at the last minute with the swooping intervention that was needed. Paul Scholes is Batman, using the fact that he doesn't have any actual superpowers, forced into making better decisions than everyone, seeing things more clearly than everyone else, exploiting the space better than anyone else does. That's obviously the answer. Roy Keane, no longer with us, but definitely in the role of Wolverine, a man not ever comfortable in his own skin, but nonetheless having superpowers and being able to put them to the use for the greater good. Spider-Man, I think with great power comes great responsive and persability terrible i think robin he has that nice guy vibe that you get from spider-man surely robin goes with batman yeah but there's no one less robin like than robin van Persie. you know robin's robin van Persie is no one's second fiddle so i I think he's he's clearly spider-man michael carrick i'm trying to think of a slightly underrated superhero who nevertheless does the job really effectively maybe maybe a night crawler someone like that um, and uh, Nemanja Vidic, the Hulk. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Oh, very good. We have another one, which is uh, a little more serious. This is from Gaurav, who asks whether Ferguson's decision not to strengthen United's midfield is underrated. Um, in the week where Sir Alex has been lauded by Harvard grades for his management and planning, do you think that some of the criticism that he gets for his failure to see the weakness in our midfield is fair? Leaving the Glazenomics aside, don't you think that Fergie has shown time and again that he's ahead of the curve? He pursued Hargreaves for a long time. Hago was meant to be the nasty midfield player that we needed. I think Sir Alex realized this at least three years before anyone else did. The fact that Anderson decided he didn't want to be a footballer or that Hago was always injured isn't Fergie's fault now, is it? 
It's an interesting point in that one. Did Ferguson actually get it right when he signed Owen Hargreaves and Anderson and just got unlucky? Uh, Hargreaves being injured all the time and and Anderson just not having the appetite to be a professional footballer. (laughs) You said appetite there, Ed, I couldn't help but notice. Yeah, I think when you consider that uh, he's had quite a bit of time to fix this problem, uh, then uh, no, I don't think he's just been unlucky. I mean, I think that's the key point, isn't it? It's I, I do agree that Owen Hargreaves really was the answer at one point, you know? He really was the signing that we were missing, and he, he made an enormous difference at first, and that's why he became such a huge favourite so quickly. So obviously, taste has become bitter uh, as, as he left us and went to City, but I think the, the key fact is he hasn't addressed what went wrong. Maybe that's partly financial, but if it is partly financial, Ferguson's you know culpable in that too. Yeah, Ferguson said this week, no transfers this winter. Uh, He also gave an interview in which he said there was no value. (laughs) He loves it. He absolutely loves it. I think he's actually taking the piss now. I think he's he's actually winding us up just for a bit of a Christmas prank. Michu was £2 million. Bless you. (laughs) I'm impressed with that. That That was fine work. At mango underscore carrot, talking of fine work. If a United player had to have Czech Teote's hair, who would it be and why? Well, Anderson almost has, just it's not bleached. I think I would quite like to see Czech Teote's hair on Phil Jones's head. I know he's been the answer to every question this week, but normally he's every question, so makes a nice change. Skullsy. Fergie. <laughs> That's it. That's the correct, the default correct answer. Well done. Looking back on the season so far, asks at bifurcated underscore MUFC, who from Manchester United squad would be should be on Santa's nice list and who should be on the naughty list? Good question. The naughty list is obviously Nani, because he's on Ferguson's naughty list. He's number one on the naughty list. He's definitely in the naughty corner. He won't be getting any presents this year, uh, unless it's a transfer. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. that's a present, really. No. On the on the nice list, uh, Raphael. Yes. What a, sto- what a storming year he has had, eventually. Great progress from Raphael, and uh, he's becoming the defender that everyone really wanted. You know? and, and, of course, Robin Van Persie, because he's been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, slightly on the naughty list, apparently, is David De Gea for some reason. For a mysterious reason, Santa Fergie has, has got De Gea on, on the naughty list. Well, you know, he tortures small animals in his spare time. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, that makes sense then. Final question comes from our very good friend at Beautifully Red, and a similar version of the question was also asked by at djones632. Cast the Manchester United Football Club nativity play from the current squad. So, I think you've got to go for... Um, uh, first of all, we've got to address Phil Jones first. Definitely a shepherd. No question about that. Three wise men. Well, definitely two wise men in Skulls and Gigs. Who, who's getting the coveted third third wise man role? That'd be Michael Carrick, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good, that's good, I like it. Oh, Michael Carrick might be Joseph, actually, though, because it's a very important part of the story, but no one really talks about him. So, I, I think we'd give Carrick Joseph and, and make Fergie be the third wise man. Of course, Giggsy couldn't be the Virgin Mary because, you know, <laughs> there's no nothing immaculate about Giggsy's conceptions. So we've got Phil Jones as a shepherd. Uh, you need another couple of shepherds in there, don't you? I had Chris Morling and make a decent shepherd. No no reason why not. Robin Van Persie as the, as the anointed one, I think, at the moment. I think Robin Van Persie plays the baby. Or maybe the Archangel Gabriel, actually. I quite like that. Van Persie's the Archangel Gabriel. Chicharito is still the baby, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But then again, Chicharito could play the Virgin Mary, you see, because he's got that, that purity of heart that, that many of the rest of our team so clearly lack. And Ferguson is quite clearly God. 
No question about that. Now, he's one of the wise men, though, as well. You cast Fergie as guard, and then you, you slot Mike Phelan in, in a, in a wise man role. And then you just got the rest of them playing assorted uh, barnyard animals, which I seem to remember is the, the leftover roles in that, in that particular festive scene. And Anderson would come along and eat all the myrrh. First of all, we need to identify what myrrh is. Never really been sure. <laughs> no, neither do I. <laughs> all right, well, I guess that just about wraps it up for another festive edition of the Rankcast. We've just got time. Something very special before we play you out. I listen Rantcast, my only Rantcast. It makes me happy when skies are grey. Oh, Ed and Paul, you are the legends. So please don't take my Rantcast away. Oh, Anton, you've touched our hearts and, and made our day. And thank you also for the very nice messages that you sent us about the Rantcast. It's, uh, it's much appreciated. So on that joyously cheery note, Ed, it's time to make some predictions. I think United will win at Swansea, 2-1. I think it will be a comfortable win over Newcastle, 3-0. Oh my goodness. I think a draw at Swansea, and I think we'll beat Newcastle, 2-1. Here's another prediction for you. I think Ronaldo will score from somewhere near the halfway line when he comes to Old Trafford. (laughs) No! It's like a horrible nightmare. So uh, we'll be back during the festive period. We're not having any time off or any more interruptions to the normal schedule of the show. We'll put up another Rankcast on Friday the 28th, where we'll look back at those two games and look forward to the games coming up. If you want to get us in the meantime to wish us a happy Christmas or for any other reason. It's my birthday on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Edward. Happy birthday to you. I know you can't wish for a finer present than me singing to you over the phone, eh, Ed? It does it for me every time. There's a tear in the eye. (laughs) Yeah, so Ed's birthday and then Christmas. uh, At United Rant for Ed to wish him a happy birthday. At UTD Rantcast for me to ask me to please politely stop singing i've been really good and sung for weeks uh, so follow me on twitter if you want to see the fruits of that you can hit us up at the show page by leaving a comment on the post about the show or it'd be very helpful to us if you could be so kind as to rate us or leave us a nice review on itunes down with this sort of thing in it yeah or you know up with this sort of thing also that would be good and finally if you want to give us a massive christmas present because somehow you've inherited a billion pounds just before christmas then unitedrant.co.uk slash donate very good thank you for all of that it's been a great year so far we've still got one more show before the turn of the year and what better christmas present than two united victories bring it on please santa claus and we'll see you next week